Hello again. You all set? All set. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Craft Business Life Podcast. My name is Lee Solomon. This is a podcast about actors, mainly, and uh, how they do what they do. Uh, my guest today is Joe Staten. He is uh, an actor who has an interesting uh, history and journey so far for a few different reasons, uh, one of which is that he is from the UK, and he's studied both there and here, and he's working based here now. Uh, he also spent time growing up in both France and Spain, so he's got a lot of different uh, aspects to his experience, which I'm very excited to delve into. Uh, among everything else. So, Joe, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, we met uh, a little while back now uh, when you were doing uh, this production of As You Like It with uh, the Rogue Players, yep. uh, which seems to be a terrific company uh, in New York here, and um, we'll get into that. But mm -hmm. um, I always like to start this by asking uh, what you're working on or what you're focused on or what's taking up your time right now, whether it be a gig, auditions, day jobs, or all of the above. Now, full disclosure, we tried to do this a uh, couple of weeks or so ago, or maybe it was longer, and we had some technical difficulties, but you had said at that time you were getting ready to head up to Vermont. I don't remember the timing on that. Have You, you haven't left for that yet, though, right? No, no, not yet. Uh, I'm heading off on the 24th of June. Um, I'm going to be working with the uh, a company called Shakespeare in the Woods. It's right. their, they're a new company. It's their very first season. Yes. Um, and I'm going to be playing. I'm going to be doing two Shakespeare productions with them. I'm going to be playing Benvolio in Romeo and Juliet, and Gremio in Taming of the Shrew. And it's exciting because we're going to be performing in the woods. So that's that's a dream. Yeah. And as I said the last time, you know, it's an it's a, that sounds like an amazing, you know perfect uh, situation doing Shakespeare outside in the woods in a place like Vermont I I can't imagine a cooler a cooler setting for that kind of thing and if I'm not mistaken you told me they were also um, uh, you know they, that, that, that it was uh, that it was a good company that they were they were taking good care of you while you're there yeah absolutely they're um, they're helping me with my travel they're paying for my travel up there and they're also providing me with accommodation and they're giving me a weekly pay as well which is you know for an actor that's for a working actor that's almost unheard of <laughs> and it's wonderful yeah well and especially this is uh you said this is their first season as a company so that's even more impressive and, you know this yeah, comes up a lot you know um and uh this is a non-union situation right this is a non-union situation and i am non-union right so this comes up a lot which is you know the good news is there is a lot of really good, solid regional theater and other kinds of out-of-town work, um, mm -hmm. you know, all over the country, um, you know, if you, even if you're non-union. And uh, sometimes the regional theaters uh, and the theaters in different places have, you know, more ability to take better care of the actors, perhaps, in places like New York. But... Um, so anyway, it's always good to hear, and I hear it a lot when, when you know a regional theater situation is a, is a positive one. And, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, and so, what if anything are you doing between now and when you leave? Are you just kind of working your day jobs and laying low? Are you still auditioning for other things, or what are you up to? 
Well, I've put, on, I've put auditioning on hold for now. I've had a pretty intense year of auditioning. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, I did just get offered a gig yesterday, um, which is actually to do an audiobook, my first ever audiobook. Oh, phenomenal. Um, yeah, they needed someone with a British accent mm-hmm. um, who could also speak French, and, you know, I'm <laughs> that unique brand right there. Um, ah, yeah. Yeah, so I'm going to start working on that because I have to, there's a deadline with that project. I have to get to the first 15 minutes of that recorded by next month, so I'm going to be working intently on that. Um, otherwise, yeah, I'm just uh, working my day job. I work at the Stella Adler Studio of Acting, which is where I went to drama school. Oh, great. I, yeah, I do the library, the reception there as well, and that's a really great day job because it keeps me close to my old teachers, and I'm also in an acting environment every day, which is wonderful. Perfect. Absolutely. Now let's talk about this audiobook gig a little bit because that's one of these, you know, particular corners of the industry that uh, can be very lucrative and a lot of people don't know about it. Um, mm-hmm. So first of all, out of curiosity, you know, are, are, you, are, you, are you, you mentioned you have to get started on it. Are you going to be able to do the whole thing before you go to Vermont or... Well, um, fortunately, the uh, the microphone I used for my audition, um, they said was fine, and I can use that. I don't actually have to go to a studio to do it. So oh, that was going to be my next question. So you can actually do it on your own time, on your own. Yeah, absolutely. As long as as long as I meet the deadlines that are set, I have to get the whole book recorded by October. So wow, as long as I meet the deadlines, and so. So the way that works, you know, from a technical standpoint, is you have your own microphone, your own computer, and I guess, essentially, they're just trusting that you can get the sound quality to what they need, right? Well, yeah, like I said, when I sent in my audition tape, they said that the sound quality was fine there, was Mm -hmm. was fine. They they were happy with the sound quality, and they were also happy with the uh, direction I was going with the voice, so... They said there's no need for us to meet or anything. As long as you can get the deadlines, then you're all good to go. That's great, you know, and, I, and I'm, I'm sure it will be. I'm just, you know, not to be cynical, but I'm just <laughs> curious, you know, from their point of view, there's no studio, there's no producer, you know, they're just trusting you to do this completely on your own. Um, and I'm not, not denying your capability at all, but from their point of view, that's a little bit of a risk, isn't it? I mean, what if you submit files to them and, and they don't sound right, you know? Well, I guess so. I mean, <laughs> we've, been, we've been communicating, and this is right. what they've told me. All I can really do is go with what they're no, no, telling absolutely. me. So, absolutely. And I'm sure yeah. that, that's great. I just, I just have <laughs> to be curious because I, I always look at things from all different angles. Um, yeah, absolutely. No, that's great. And then so what I really want to know and what I'm sure listeners want to know is how you got it. Do you, do you submit for voiceover work a lot? Do you have a voiceover demo? Well, you know, it's funny because I've always wanted to crack into voiceover. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've never really been sure how to do that. I have a few teachers who, who uh, make a lot of their money on voiceover. And, you know, I've spoken to them about it. And sometimes I think it is difficult to crack into it. But I was actually very lucky with this one because uh, so I worked in an immersive uh, gig um, back in January, February, March, um, at this place called Passport to Iron City. And one of the actors I was working with was an audiobook actor who um, actually had done a lot of uh, audiobooks with, the, with this company. And um, 
one day I just randomly got an email from uh, this lady who said that this guy had told her about me. They were looking for a British actor. Could I please send in uh, a uh, audition? They sent me the scripts and I sent them three tapes. Um, and then they said, can you speak French? I said, sure. Can you read some of chapter eight? I said, sure. Sent it all in. And yesterday they made me an offer. So it was it just sort of fell into me. <laughs> no. And again, you never know. It's, it, it can all, it can, it can be so random sometimes. You never know. That's yeah. why it's always great to just be out there meeting people, always be, always be a good person to have around and, and you never know what's going to happen. And, yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's great, man. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, Thank you so much. Absolutely. So um, we're kind of jumping around a little bit here, which is fine. <laughs> okay. but, no, it's a good thing. But so, um, you know, when we met, you were doing As You Like It, and now you're doing these two productions in Vermont. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, has has, you know, Shakespeare been something that you've, you know, really tried to make a big part of your career? Is it one of your favorite types of work to do, or has it just happened that way? So, again, in, in the funny way that life sort of is, mm-hmm. um, I've, I've always loved Shakespeare since about the age of 10, when, I, when my teacher made us read A Midsummer Night's Dream, and I just fell in love with the play and, and the characters and everything. Yeah. Um, but um, throughout my whole career up to this point, I hadn't done any Shakespeare productions until straight after uh, graduating from Stella Adler okay. um, last year, where, funnily enough, I got cast in A Midsummer Night's Dream. Of course. <laughs> in, yeah, I know, it's, it's, it's hilarious. Um, and that was my first uh, Shakespeare production over here. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, and my first Shakespeare production in general, I got cast as flutes um, in Midsummer Night's Dream in Texas with the Classic Theatre of San Antonio. Um, with this director who was just, who's just wonderful. I loved working with him and I loved working with the people. Um, but throughout my whole career, people have been saying to me, why aren't you doing Shakespeare? You scream Shakespeare. And I'm like, it just hasn't come my way yet. I've been trying, but it hasn't come my way. And then now I've done, now this will be my fifth Shakespeare production since graduating drama school a year ago. Fantastic. <laughs> and yeah, and um, you know, a, a lot of actors, well, not a lot, but sometimes actors think I'm crazy for asking this question, But and it came up a little bit when I met you guys for As You Like It, but, mm-hmm. you know, I think, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the actors and the audience side. So some actors, uh, if they're not experienced in it and trained in it, um, may be scared of Shakespeare, may be intimidated by it, or may think that they have to take some wildly different approach uh, than they would a contemporary script. Um, so what would you say about that, about, you know, as an actor, is it really that different doing Shakespeare as opposed to doing anything else? Huh. See, this is the part where I start worrying that my old teachers are listening to me speaking. <laughs> and that other actors are listening to me speaking and that they'll wildly disagree with me. So, <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, for me personally, again, I read Midsummer Night's Dream when I was 10 years old. I fell in love with it. And that was my first, I think a lot of your, a lot of people's approach to Shakespeare can depend on their first ever approach to it. And my first ever approach to it was such a huge positive one. Um, so in that sense, I've never really, 
been afraid of it that much, um, especially because growing up in an English school, I had to read it a lot and I had to learn monologues from it a lot um, to the point where I loved it. I just loved it so much. So, I mean, yeah, it, it can be scary if I was doing Macbeth or Hamlet, one of the big beasts of a show. I'm, I'm a bit a bit afraid of doing uh, Romeo and Juliet and Taming of the Shrew at the same time. Right. Because those are two big beasts of a show, and I've got two really big parts and a lot of lines to learn, a lot of work to do for that. That's great. But um, I think more than fear, I just feel excitement. Excitement and enthusiasm for it. That's so, fantastic, and that, that makes sense. Uh, yeah. Um, do I remember correctly, and forgive me if I'm mixed up, but wasn't it you who also was doing a whole bunch of different parts and as you liked it? <laughs> I wasn't just doing a whole bunch of different parts. I was doing two productions of As You Like It simultaneously, okay. both both playing a bunch of different parts in both shows. And and, and not <laughs> all the same parts either, I bet. Not all the same parts. No, the, with the Rogue players, I was doing uh, Jack the Boys, Corinne LeBeau, um, and Amiens, who had also been turned, who had also been given the lines of the first and the second Lord. Um, so that was a lot. And in the other one, I was Jack the Boys, Oliver Martex, and uh, Second Lord. So, I remember you mentioning about the other production, but I don't remember you saying it was going on at the same time. Wow, it was simultaneous. We uh, we closed the first one closed a week before. We opened with the rogue players, so I had about a week's breathing space. Well, you know what? You are getting, you are truly getting your reps, and you're about to get more <laughs> in terms of being able to do repertory theater. No pun intended. Um, which <laughs> no, is, absolutely. you know, which is great experience for an actor, you know, to say the least. So, um, yeah, absolutely, it, it has. It's been wonderful. It really has. That's that's great. And um, you know. What's interesting to me is, you know, Shakespeare has always obviously been considered a classic. And mm -hmm. even, even in our modern times with all our, you know, screens and everything being streaming content and 8 million channels and ways to watch things and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. um, Shakespeare is still being produced all the time, all over the world. It never slows down. Um, quite right, too. Exactly. Quite right, too. And, and exactly, for good reason. So it's good to see that the, the thirst for it uh, has not diminished, uh, which is great. But, you know, what would you say to especially younger people these days who hopefully are still growing up learning it in school? I'm sure they are. But, you know, they are also getting used to, you know, devices and other things that, that, that people like myself did not grow up with. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, you know, what would you say to younger people or anybody who maybe hasn't ever seen a Shakespeare play and might be afraid to go see one because they think it's going to be boring, they think they're not going to understand it, you know, what would you say to them? Well, I would say give it a chance. Mm -hmm. give, it a sh give it a shot. Um, for your first introduction, to sh I think a reason that a lot of people are put off by, by Shakespeare um, to begin with is how they are introduced to it. I think it's very important how they are introduced to it. And for a lot of people, um, I mean, I can talk from England's viewpoint. Um, I don't know about America. Maybe it's the same. Maybe it's not. But a lot of people, their introduction comes from sitting in a classroom in rows, having to read um, Shakespeare and not really being given an experience of it. Um, 
and you know Shakespeare intended his plays to be to be watched and listened to, not really to be read. Yeah. Um, so I would say that when it came to, for again, I'll go back to my first experience with it. It was just such a fun environment in that classroom because we were actually experiencing the play. We she had us getting up and and being those characters. She showed us the movie. She and it was a fun play to to start off with. If you're if you're going to introduce Shakespeare to a bunch of kids in the classroom and it's going to be say Macbeth, um, which is very very heavy and for especially for a bunch of say eleven to thirteen year olds in the classroom, then of course they're going to be put off by it for the rest of their for the rest of their lives. Um, so I would say, you know, if it's your first time going to watch it, then ask people who know it and get them to recommend something fun, something maybe light that can sort of introduce you to it. And then if you find that you like it, then um, then great, keep keep going, and then maybe go into some of the uh, more hardcore stuff. I don't know. That's just my point of view. No, that that all makes perfect sense. I agree. It's a great point, and you know. Now, what you said about Shakespeare's wrote his plays to be performed, I mm-hmm. mean, not only that, but that, you know, that was literally his and his fellow actors' companies living. If these right, plays exactly. weren't appealing to an audience to come see, you know, they didn't, that was their livelihood. So, uh, absolutely. That they, they, he actually had to make them them compelling so yeah <laughs> yes indeed very cool so let's go back through your your background you know i'm very interested you grew up in the uk but then you also spent time in both france and spain how did that come about well um long story short uh my parents uh founded um a face painting company in the uk oh. um yeah i know <laughs> yes it's it's oh, uh, I love it. I know. Um, it's cool. It was called Snazaroo Face Paints, um, and it did very, very well. Uh, you can buy it over here. You can buy it all over the world. I've seen it sold in Michaels here in New York, um, and uh, they made, you know, they made a good business out of it and quite a lot of money from it. And then, unfortunately, my father passed away when I was two years old. Oh, I'm and sorry. That's okay. That's okay. And um, my mother. Sold the business shortly after that. You know, it was their business together. I think, um, I think she, she wasn't really um, able to continue on without him. Uh, she might kill me for saying that. I don't know. <laughs> we'll find out later on. Yeah. But she wanted me to learn another language, and uh, she wanted to see a bit more of the world. So we moved to France, and um, she put me in a French school. I was six years old at the time. And um, she put me in a French school, and I learned French, and uh, I was in that school for four years. And um, for personal reasons that I won't delve into, we decided after four years that um, that France wasn't really for us. So my older brother was working in Spain as a holiday rep, and um, we thought, why not go to Spain? So we went to Spain, and it turned out to be the perfect place for us. You know, sunny beaches, it's great for Brits, because um, we don't have them in Britain. Um, so um, we stayed in Spain for eight years. I went to high school there. Um, and uh, I only left Spain when I graduated high school because I wanted to be an actor. So I moved to London for three years after graduating, and I went to a drama school for a year in London, um, a drama school called the Italia Conti Academy of Theatre Arts. And then I stayed in London for another two years, just working um, on short films. Um, I did a play festival, uh, the Cabin Fringe. And, um, but I 
I was dimly aware that even though I'd had a year of drama school training and I was learning a lot on the job, I needed more training. I, was, I wasn't grounded enough. I wasn't confident enough. Um, so I was auditioning for drama school still. And um, the Stella Adler Studio came to London and they offered me an audition. And I went and I, I auditioned in front of Tom Oppenheim, Stella Adler's grandson. And uh, they offered me a uh, place in their conservatory. So that's how I ended up here. So that's been my abridged life story. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. And I, I didn't realize that it was her grandson still uh, still working there. That's cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I want to talk about that training and, and your other training as well. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, as far as, you know, what happened with your mom and dad, you know, obviously that's one of those things where, you know, it's a terrible thing, but your mother did turn around and, and make something positive out of it and you know, it's great that she she wanted that for you um, oh, absolutely my mother is one of the strongest people i know i bet she's she's really really wonderful and she's actually just written a book she's just written a book about her whole snazaroo experience it's called a snazzy tale and uh, it's got all of that in there um i oh, highly recommend it to anyone who wants a good read so well, we will definitely post a link to the information about that uh, in the episode notes. So um, that's really great. So um, you went, you were in France, and just by by being there, you 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 learned how to speak French. I did, yeah. So now you're fluent in both, and um, and you ended up going to high school in Spain. Now, was the high school in Spain taught in English or? Well, um, my first couple of years, I went to two high schools in, in Spain, and my first couple of years, I actually went to a European school, mm-hmm. um, where um, it was actually divided into groups. So you had the English section, the Spanish section, the German section, and the French section. Oh, wow. And I was placed in the English section with French as a second language, yeah. and then I had to do certain lessons in Spanish, such as music and uh physical education um but the majority of my lessons were in english or french um and then i transferred from that school to a british private school um where again it was mainly english lessons i did french as well um i did spanish lessons too and some of the lessons were in spanish um but no there was a huge there's a huge english community in spain and um we, I was very much involved in that English community, and even though I can speak conversational Spanish, and you know I do try very hard because I think it's important, yeah. um, I'm very sad to say that my Spanish will never be as good as my French, unfortunately. Oh, yeah, that's understandable. <laughs> I, I understand that you know you'd like it to be sure we all would. <laughs> um, yeah, you know you're already way ahead of me with two languages. So. <laughs> um, yeah. but I uh, know that's great. Now, uh, so when did the idea of acting come in for you? Were you able to get involved in any during that high school or no? Oh, gosh, the idea of acting. I think the idea of acting first came to me when I was four years old and I saw a production of Pinocchio and I wanted to be on stage with them. <laughs> yeah, I think that's when it first manifested. Um, but um, when I lived in Spain, um, there was, I think I expressed an interest to it to my mum who is a very creative person and thought that was wonderful. So she started looking for classes and I ended up going to this uh, improvisation class every Saturday from the age of uh, 10 until, until I left Spain, really. I was there the whole time um, with this amazing man called Lee Walker, who 
was an actor in England before he retired to Spain, and he, he had done a lot of improvisation. And um, again, in the funny way that life works, the drama school I went to in London was the drama school he trained at. <laughs> yeah, life is very funny. Um, and he he taught me a lot. He he was the sort of he was he was my reason to to go through every week to just to get to Saturday so I could do my improv classes. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I I can pretty much owe him a lot for me not giving up and me deciding that this is what I wanted to do. Um, yeah. That's fantastic, and I'm curious about the nature of those improv classes, because when I was an actor here in New York, I did a lot of improv. I was very into the whole improv thing for, for, for quite some time, and uh, the little bit I know about the British style of improv, and of course I'm generalizing, but, um, uh, oh, I'm sorry, did you say the improv, the improv was where? Was the class was in London, or it was in France? Oh, no, 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 that was in Spain. That in was Spain. Spain, I'm sorry, yeah. I'm sorry. That's okay. Well, anyway, wherever, so so Spain then, let's say, um, you know, what what was the style of improv? Was it, you know, more sort of acting-based, Commedia dell'arte kind of stuff, or was it more witty? You know, what, what were they teaching you? Well, from the, when you're like an 11-year-old and you go to these classes, um, it was all about really fun and, and confidence, really, sure. so... Um, Lee, Lee actually um, used to work on one of those improv shows, you know, where, where it was like a bit of like reality TV where they'd send uh, someone in to play jokes on members of the public. Oh, okay. Um, so he, he, was, he had done a career in that. And so it was all, a lot of it was very uh, filled with humor and filled with fun. So we would play improv games. Um, we would do scenes. Uh, he would have us do devised work. So at the end of every class, he'd give us a subject and we had to create a little piece That's great. from that. Yeah, it was really, really fun. And uh, I ended up having a bunch of friends friends there. And, um, you know, it was a bunch of British kids getting together, just being silly, really. <laughs> yeah, I know. In a but, nutshell. But yeah, but it's impressive, too, that he was having you do all those kinds of work at that, at that age. That's great. Um, cool. And then what about high school? Was there opportunity to do theater in high school for you? Well, because I went to an English school and theater and acting is such a huge part of English culture. There was a performing arts department there for sure. Great. Um, so I did drama and performing arts in high school and I was always involved in the plays at the end of the year and everything. Um, yeah, um, and again, this was all contributing to me wanting to leave Spain, go to London, and become a working actor. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, let's talk about that. So you get to London, and, uh, you know, what, what's the first thing you do? How do you get started there? God, I remember getting off the plane with two suitcases, one full of books, one full of clothes, and a rucksack, and that was my whole life in Spain, just packed up, ready to move to a new country. Um, so I started at the Italia Conti Academy. I was on their foundation course. I was 19 years old, and for the first time in my life, I was now doing acting work every single day in, in their classes and I was surrounded by people like me who wanted to act and who were serious about about it right. um and god I was I looking back on it now I feel like I was so unprepared for it I, god I was it was um it was a lot it was a lot of work um very intense mm -hmm. and um we did scene study we did uh, movement classes voice and speech 
um, all this stuff that I, a lot of it I didn't even know was necessary. You know, I was, I was just coming out of high school, um, in Spain. <laughs> so, uh, and it only increased my love for it more and I became very attached to school and I loved it. And I tried to audition for their three year program. Um, but unfortunately I, I didn't get in. Um, again, I think I was too young and I was too inexperienced for it. So, um, but I had a great time there and I, I learned a lot and I think it was a good foundation to get me started with the rest of my career. And I definitely wouldn't be here now if it wasn't for all of that. Um, that's great. So yeah. even after that felt to, to an extent like you had some, some solid technique that you could use. Um, I had the foundation of a solid technique. So I knew I started to learn about actions and objectives and all of that foundation work that, that uh, you have to know about. Right. Um, what I was really lacking, I feel, um, just looking back, was um, I needed to go out in the real world and have a bit more life experience. I mean, I did have a pretty unique life experience growing up in three different countries, but um, I needed to be on my own. I needed to be a bit independent and, um, and uh, see if I could survive London, which is a beast of a city to survive in. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so... I made a lot of friends and, um, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd, uh, I, w I completely wasn't ready for it, but I just threw myself in and I started doing short films and, um, meeting more people, going to different teachers. Um, and, um, the thing about drama schools in England is that there's so many of them and they are so difficult to get into. And um, as a 19, 20-year-old auditioning and constantly getting rejected from these drama schools, it had a real knock on my confidence and self-esteem yeah. to the point where I very, very nearly thought maybe I should just go back to Spain and, and try something else. But then I met this teacher, a man called John Campbell, and I had one class with him. And in that one class, I did for him a monologue from Shakespeare. And he he was this this really great um, British guy and he just looked at me and just said you're a good actor you can do this and um, he I started going to see him regularly and then I did his course and then he cast me in a feature film oh, and wow. um, and uh, he he sort of turned my life around in that sense and when I realized that I could actually survive and do this um, uh, unfortunately he passed away my first uh, summer being in New York um, from cancer but he was a really great guy, and uh, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of your acting career can depend on the mentors and the teachers that you have, and and uh, he actually coached me for my audition for Stella Adler. So again, without him, I wouldn't be here. So, well, phenomenal. Yeah, exactly. Clearly, you had uh, you know at least a couple of those, and uh, you know you're not the only one to have told me a story like that about a, about an essential mentor. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, it's so great that, that people like that are doing that for, for young people. And, uh, you know, the, the value of all that is, is great. And I'm sorry to hear that, that he passed, but that's, uh, you know, that's terrific that, that at least, uh, you know, you were able to do all that and he helped you that way. Um, for sure. For sure. And he still is helping me. I still think about his lessons and absolutely. everything he taught me. And, uh, uh, his wife, who, who I'm still in contact with, sometimes she sends me scripts that he wrote and I can read them, maybe use them in some auditions. And yeah, he, he was, he was a great guy. Fantastic. <laughs> so what other kinds of work did you get to do while you were in London? Um, 
Well, uh, I actually started working as a zombie scare actor for two years. <laughs> yes, I noticed that on your resume. I was wondering what. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm doing that again now. I just started doing it in uh, New York after not doing it for for two years. Is this like um, a haunted house kind of thing? It was kind of like that. It was it was an immersive experience called Bunker Fifty One with uh, a company called Apocalypse Events, and. Um, it was basically every weekend I would go to this place, I would put on a lot of gore makeup, and I would scare people for money. <laughs> I just thought, what a great way to earn a living, you know? Um, and uh, what's funny about that is that um, I went to do the audition, and then I had a short interview afterwards. And um, I don't know how, but somehow the subject of Snazaroom, my parents' face painting company, came up. And I just remember them saying, wait, what? You're... Your parents own Snazaroo. We use Snazaroo. And I got the job. <laughs> See, another, another thing that came full circle for you. Wow. Another thing that came full circle. Yeah, and um, it was very messy work, very gory work. But sure. I met a whole bunch of people there who I'm still in contact to this day who are all horror movie buffs, but all actors, and they make their own work. And and uh, I, met makeup, I met makeup artists and all sorts of great people. And... Um, from that, I got a whole bunch of other gigs. Like, I got a, a commercial for eBay. Um, eBay needed some zombies, and they contacted this company, and I got this job without even having to audition for it. Um, so I got to be on an eBay commercial, and they paid me £100 a day to do that. Um, and yeah, so that was that was some of the work I used to do. Other than that, I auditioned for short films a lot. Um, I wanted to do a bit more film work, see what that was like, and I loved doing that. Um, so I did a lot of student films. Um, through doing student films, I met a bunch of people. We ended up writing a play. Um, we submitted it to a festival. It got accepted into a festival, and I directed a, this play instead of acted in it and found that I quite like doing a bit of directing as well. Um, yeah, but again, throughout this whole process, I just remember thinking I'm, I'm in competition with people who have trained for three, four years in drama schools, and, and I haven't, so I need more training. Um, and that's all what led me here. So, well, yeah, and you know, again, I think it's very impressive that even as a young person, you were self-aware that you know you needed to go to London, you needed to get more experience, and you needed more training. You mm -hmm. know, it's all great that you realized all that and, and had that kind of discipline. Um, yeah. But tell me about the experience directing that first time. What was that like for you? Um, that was a lot of fun. I didn't. I didn't think I would enjoy it that much. We we wrote this play and it was a two it was a two character play. It was only fifteen minutes long, mm -hmm. and um, the it was for a competition for a, a company called the Guildford um, Guildford Fringe Theatre Company. Um, and um, me and my friend we wrote it together, and the subject was class. We had to write a story about class, a play about class, fifteen minutes long. And my friend and I we were both kids who had been born in one country but had grown up in different countries and um so we thought what does that what 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 does class mean to us in that sense and we realized it didn't really mean anything <laughs> so we just wrote this play about um about uh two characters one of whom had grown up in a traditional sense and one of whom hadn't and we just thought how do they interact and we thought how do we interact with people who have grown up in one country and and haven't lived a life similar to ours. And we wrote this short romance about it. And um, 
I realized whilst we were writing it that I identified more with the girl character than the boy character. So I was like, well, I can't play the boy character, so we'll have to get someone else to. Mm. So we held auditions, and um, we auditioned for about two days, which was actually a really good experience, I thought, because it's actually beneficial to see what it's like behind the desk yeah. um, as well as in front of it. Sure. And um, what you know, what we looked for in, in characters, what we looked for in submissions all of that, and we chose two really good actors, and um, all I had was what I knew. All I had was acting that I'd been taught, so I used things that John had taught me. I'd been taking Meisner classes at the time, so I was so enthused about Meisner techniques, so I, I um, used some of my experience in that on these two actors, and um, it was really it was really a lot of fun, really a lot of fun. My friend also directed it. We directed it together. And uh, he he um, he was the same as me. He, we we both complimented each other, um, and we ended up putting on this really great fifteen minute piece alongside three other great fifteen minute pieces. And um, we all got paid, and it was a really great experience. Fantastic! Yeah, uh, really, that's great. And it's funny you mentioned Meisner that you did study Meisner <laughs> as well because. You know, we're going to talk now about, you know, Stella Adler training that you did here in New York. And, you know, this comes up a lot on the podcast. I'm very interested in all these different, you know, schools of thought with the training and everything. Um, obviously, Meisner and Adler are two of the big ones. And yep. um, I think in, I, uh, in Stella Adler on the third floor, there's a picture of Meisner and Adler together um, hugging each other. And it's, it's the most adorable thing ever. There you, go. <laughs> there you go. Well, you know, again, it, there's no reason there should be sort of competition. I was just talking to another actor last night who was saying her school was all about, here's a whole bunch of tools and you figure out which ones work for you and you figure out which ones work on the particular project, you know, and that's it. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. You you have to sort of dive into to a bunch of different techniques to see what 100% works for you. Um, and I've, I've, I've done Adler technique, Meisner technique. Um, I recently discovered last year, I discovered lucid body technique, which is amazing. And you just got to take what you can from all of them. Absolutely. And I think it's come up. I know it's come up before. I don't remember how much detail we've gotten into, but, um, if you would, uh, talk a little bit about what the basic philosophy or the, the basic methods of Stella Adler training are, what, what is what is the Stella Adler technique all about? What is the Stella Adler technique all about? Again, this is where I start to worry that maybe my teachers are listening in and <laughs> sort of going to say something and they're going to go, what? No, that's completely wrong. We didn't teach you anything. <laughs> um, so the Adler technique. Um, so it draws a lot from Stanislavski. She was actually the only member of the big three who studied directly with Stanislavski, um, okay. involves a lot of character work. Um, unlike, unlike Lee Strasberg, though, who, uh, who people equate to being a uh, method, yeah. um, who draws on a lot of um, emotional preparation um, using, using the things from your own life to, uh, to influence your acting. Stella Adler sort of argues that that's a bit unhealthy and that you, the imagination is actually much more powerful. So she encourages a lot of character work and a lot of imagination to put you in those circumstances. Um, it's obviously ten times more complicated than that, but um, that's, I think, basically the gist. Cool. And um, 
So, you know, you said you, you felt you needed more training, and then you came to New York, you did this program, mm -hmm. uh, along with all the other training you had had. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, I know an actor's training is never necessarily done, but, but did you feel after the Adler program that you had much more of that training that you were hoping to get? I felt, I felt that I um, knew a lot more of what I was doing. Mm -hmm. um, I definitely, you know, the fact that I got cast, I got cast in midsummer. I got cast in midsummer before I'd even graduated. So right. I, I was waiting to graduate and then went off to Texas immediately to do my first like professional play, which we were doing four shows a week for a month for. Mm -hmm. And um, I'd had some really great lessons in voice and speech, movement. Um, Ad, uh, Stella Adler was the first uh, place I'd ever gone to where I'd actually enjoyed movement class. Mm -hmm. Um, my very first class at Adler, I was like, oh my God, movement, it can be fun. <laughs> you know, um, we did classes in Commedia dell'arte, um, all sorts of stuff. And we, we delved deep into all of that. And, um, I felt because, because due to visa reasons, I've been mainly going after, uh, theater work rather than, uh, film work. Mm -hmm. And uh, I felt that, um, in the second year, especially, I knew what I needed to do to go out to an audition, um, prepared um to get a job right um and uh i've been very very lucky in the sense um not always because of auditioning but ever since i've graduated i've gone maybe two months without having something on or something to get ready for yeah. um up until this point so um you're absolutely co uh, correct uh, an actor's training never stops and i've actually continued to learn as i've gone yeah. um after graduation but um i definitely felt more that um, that I was ready, and I remember going back to London after my first semester at Stella Adler, and I went to my Meisner class um, that I used to go to, mm. and I just remember my teacher looking at me and saying, "You're standing more like an actor now." And I was that was after one semester. That's um, great. Yeah. And uh, so I'm curious. You know, you said that that the movement class at Adler was the first time you enjoyed a movement class. What? What made it different from the others? Um, well, I'm, I'm not going to talk badly about any of the others. Um, again, in case they might be listening. They might be listening. Sure. Um, but uh, um, I think I've always, I've always had a bit of a problem being confident physically um, in my body and, uh, and, you know, knowing how to use it. And um, I think in the past that I've had just not the right teachers to help me get through that and to understand that. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm going to I'm gonna do a name drop here. Why not? Hell to it. Um, Susie Takahashi, who was my teacher in first year and uh, some of second year, mm -hmm. she, was the, um, she was the first uh, teacher to ever tell me that I, and I quote, move beautifully. Wow. And um, I think that that um, had a huge impact on me. And uh, the stuff that she had us do... Um, was just so much fun. And I sort of realized that you didn't have to be perfect. It wasn't a dance class, for instance. It wasn't a dance class. You didn't have to be perfect. You didn't have to, to, uh, to, to do everything 100% right. You just had to be creative and you just had to use your body to be creative. And she, um, she made us do this exercise um, with a painting. We had to choose a painting um, and we had to do a movement piece to it and we could choose some music and, uh, and everything, and I chose a painting that was painted by my great-great-grandfather, um, and it was a painting of his therapist, mm. and he had shell shock during the war, uh, PTSD, um, after World War II. Sure. Um, World War One, sorry. Yeah. And um, 
I did a movement piece using the theme tune of The Exorcist um, to this, uh, <laughs> inspired by this painting. And um, I just experienced uh, a level of fun and a level of um, depth that I'd never experienced before in a movement class. And uh, just like many other teachers, I, I owe that to Susie. Incredible. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. And uh, when was it that you graduated from the Adler? Last year. This time last year. So just a year ago. Wow. Just one year ago. Um, do all this work since then. That's great. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you, it's, uh, it's you know, uh, you've had quite an adventurous life already, and I'm, I'm sure it's going to continue, I think, you know. Yeah, it's never going to calm down. <laughs> Why should it's never gonna calm down. That's what you want, and, you know, you... <laughs> You're clearly someone who isn't afraid to go after what he wants, but also, you know, you're, it sounds like you're very disciplined and level-headed about it, so I think that's the perfect balance for an artist. I really do. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, so thank you for sharing your story with us. Um, do you have any uh, website or social media or anything you want to share or no? Um, yeah, I do. I've just finished making my website. It's called www.joestaten.org. Mm -hmm. um, it's got uh, my production photos from previous plays that I've done. It has my show reel on there. Um, I'm hoping to do a voice reel soon so I can add that to there. Yeah. Um, also, be sure to check out uh, Shakespeare in the Woods, their website, um, because uh, that's it's a beautiful website, and it's going to be very exciting, the work that I'm going to be doing with them. Um, and... Um, just for my mum, please check out my mum's story. Um, she, her book is called A Snazzy Tale. You can buy it on Amazon. Um, her story is just as fascinating, if not more fascinating than my own. She's lived a longer and much more adventurous life than I have, I would argue. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> no, that's all great. And we will make sure to post all those links uh, in the episode notes. Thank um, you. So, listen, I wish you nothing but continued success. I look forward to keeping up with you and seeing what else you're doing. Have a great time in, in Vermont. Uh, that sounds incredible. Uh, maybe I'll even see if I can uh, take a ride up there and check it out because it does sound like something uh, very much worth a road trip for. And oh, you definitely should. It's going to be a blast. That. So, yes, I'll get the info on that from you. Um, all right. So, again, Joe Staten, thank you so much. And for everybody listening, uh, if you want to reach me about the podcast for any reason, you can email craftbusinesslifepodcast. That's all one word, craftbusinesslifepodcast at gmail.com. And something new, we now have a GoFundMe. Um, if you want to support the podcast, uh, this is uh, will always be a completely free and completely ad-free podcast. But if you want to support it, um, you have the option to there. It's GoFundMe.com slash CraftBusinessLifePodcast. And, of course, we'll post that link as well. And that's on the show website and everything. So that's it. Until next time, thank you so much. Bye-bye.